help me out for giving you love Cause I heard it from the street corner priest, yeah On how God is love and how man can be clean But my joy has been on holiday A peace has almost passed away Tell me I'm forgiven and free Oh, I tried, I tried to rectify my hopeless situation But my blood commands my guilt to shame On cavalry I sang, empty pockets open hands Oh, there is no condemnation for me Whisper to me now that it's real Cause in the silence of these walls Righteousness lots its appeal Dirty deeds have done me in No, but that can stop the faithful friend Giving mercy once again as he Forgiven in love, shawty, you forgiven in love. Shawty, you forgiven in shawty, you I love. Shawty, you forgiven in love. Oh, I tried, I tried to rectify my hopeless situation, but I bought the lie. I still have what to do. Now I'm working nine to five like I can earn my own salvation But there is no condemnation in you It's hardy old forgiving in love It's hardy old forgiving in love It's hardy old forgiving in shawty you are love It's hardy old forgiving in love it's hardy oh forgiven in love. It's hardy oh forgiven in love. It's hardy oh forgiven in shawty you are love. It's hardy oh forgiven in Good morning and welcome to chapel. Thank you to Josiah for leading us in that song. The theme of today's chapel is breaking down walls. In just a few minutes, we'll hear from Rebecca Burkholder and Blaine Durstein, who will be speaking about their experiences in breaking down walls and crossing cultural barriers and their work with Mennonite Central Committee in Asia. Before we invite them to the stage, we will take a few minutes to look at what the Bible has to say about our topic. But first, Kampa is going to light the Christ lamp. Before we move on to Ephesians, we would like to invite you to stand up, greet the people around you, hug your friends, and take a stretch break as we pass the peace. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul addresses the role of the church in broader society and God's role in uniting people of different backgrounds. 
Our scripture reading today will be from Ephesians 2, 14 14 through 22, um, and we are reading from the Passion Translation this morning. Ephesians 2, 14. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. By dying as our sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Ethnic ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. The legal code that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity, Jews and non-Jews fused together. Two have now become one, and we live restored to God and reconciled in the body of Christ. Through his crucifixion, hatred died. For the Messiah has come to preach the sweet message of peace to you, the ones who were distant and to those who are near. And now, because we are united in Christ, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. So, you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple, and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. This entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Now Gwen will lead us in the song, I Bind My Heart This Tide. Actually, it's Stephen leading us. If you would all take out the blue hymnal and turn to number 411, I bind my heart this tide. And if you would please stand.
Rebecca Burkholder and Blaine Durstein are area directors in Asia for Mennonite Central Committee, otherwise known as MCC. MCC's mission is to carry out relief, development, and peace building in the name of Christ. MCC works in 60 countries around the world. Rebe Rebecca and Blaine oversee MCC pro programs in Afghanistan, Bangladesh, India, Nepal, China, North and South Korea, and currently live in Chiang Mai, Thailand. They have been serving as area directors for three years and previously served with MCC in Bangladesh from 1997 to 2001. Rebecca is a Goshen College graduate of the class of, of the class of 1982, and both of their children, Elizabeth and Caleb, recently graduated from Goshen. We would also like to provide a trigger warning that this message will include mention of suicide. Please join us in welcoming Rebecca and Blaine to the stage. Good morning and happy Halloween. <laughs> you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors as yourself. This verse from Luke is in many ways the focus of our work with Mennonite Central Committee. And Luke 10 Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. It starts with a question. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Growing up, I heard this story many, many times. I would imagine myself, as I believe many of you would, as the Good Samaritan. We would never be like the priest or the Levite. This is the one intent of the story. 
As followers of Christ, we're called to respond to persons in need. But Jesus did something very interesting in this story, which challenged the people who were listening to him. Jesus makes a surprising twist by highlighting a Samaritan as the one who is acting as a neighbor. At the time Jesus told this story, Samaritans were a despised group of people, especially by those listening to the parable. Likewise, Samaritans despised Jews. Although Jews and Samaritans shared a common history and shared some of the same religious beliefs, they also had different beliefs. Each of these groups lived with, the, with their own group in a specific geographic area, but close enough that they would encounter each other. Both groups were to avoid the other, and their religious doctrines stated that they should not touch one another. If the robbed person would have been conscious, it is likely he would have refused the help of the Samaritan because of their differences. In Luke 9, the chapter before the Good Samaritan story, the writer mentions that a Samaritan village did not welcome Jesus. So when Jesus is talking about a Samaritan, he is talking about a person from a group of people that just rejected him. It is in this context when being asked by a lawyer, who is my neighbor, that Jesus uses a Samaritan as the one who has empathy for the injured naked man in need. <clears throat> in this story, Jesus was asking Jews to picture a person who was culturally and religiously not like them. A person who they despised is the person who was being a neighbor and was doing the work of God. A person who had a different religious understanding is the person who is being a neighbor and doing the work of God. A person who is unclean and not to be touched is the person who is being a neighbor and doing the work of God. Jesus is asking us to envision a person who is not like us, who is from a different tribe, a different geographic area, a different country, a different belief. This radical Jesus is taking, asking us not to listen to the people who tell us who we should believe, who we should trust, and who is our enemy. But that we should picture all people, even our enemy, as able to fulfill the commandment of loving their neighbor as themselves. When we can envision that person as someone who can act out of love, we no longer see them as the other, but a person of God. It changes us. And when we meet the other person, we catch them off guard and potentially change them as well. As we visit our MCC programs across Asia, we meet people who are working with those who some would have us believe are the enemy or the mm. other. MCC has allowed us to imagine those who can do good and who can be a good Samaritan. Over the past three years, we've been particularly struck at how when MCC works with different religious, ethnic, and political groups, barriers are broken down as we begin to view others in a different way. We are breaking down the dividing walls of hostility. In Asia, with its many ethnic, religious, and language differences, we are working with people who are the Samaritans 
in their country, such as Catholic priests in Bangladesh who reach out to Muslims to build peace clubs to foster understanding in their neighborhoods, where religion divides and children run in fear from someone of a different religion from their own. The woman in Bangladesh who works to rehabilitate former sex workers but does not tell her family what she really does, since to do so would associate her directly with people who are unclean and not to be touched, and would put herself and her family at risk. And when we travel to North Korea, we see people caring for others, for the least of these. We meet North Korean doctors who are making sure undernourished children receive nutritious meals and clean drinking water. And we hear the story of dedicated TB rest home director who, while expanding care for his patients, himself contracted TB and died from the disease. This North Korean gave his life for his fellow citizens who were on the margins. These are not the stories you normally hear in the media of North Korea. We like to share with you two specific stories about Samaritans we meet in the course of our travels in Asia. Those who are Samaritans in their context, who are reaching across the divides to the other and loving their neighbor as themselves. In a dusty trailer in Herat, Afghanistan, Fatima, a mental health counselor, is listening to her client, Sohila, and how she would lock herself in a dark room, cover her eyes, and scream with frustration, overwhelmed by caring for her six children in a one-room house. Fatima, the counselor, arranges the black scarf over her head again, careful to make sure it is covering her hair, but not too far over her forehead, as her mother would have taught her was the proper way for a woman of Islamic faith to dress in public. Fatima listens quietly as she keeps her eyes on Sahila's face. Fatima, from our perspective, is a Samaritan. As a young Muslim woman with a social work degree and working in Afghanistan, She's an anomaly. During our recent trip to Afghanistan, she told us how all her classmates from university have fled war-torn Afghanistan. She is one of a handful of her classmates still working in the country. Fatima is reaching out to women in her home area, like Sohila, who have been traumatized by the ongoing war. As she says, these women have been forgotten. Women have been at the forefront of violence during the decades of war in Afghanistan. Many have lost their husbands and family members. They've been exposed to horrible scenes of violence, confined to their homes by strict gender norms, and have no access to even basic mental health counseling. 87% of women have experienced domestic or gender-based violence, which contributes to the high level of mental health issues. It is estimated that 75% of women in Afghanistan have a diagnosable mental health condition. That's compared to a global average of around 25%. Without resources to turn to for support and often isolated in their homes, women lose hope. Afghanistan is the only country in the world where female rates of suicide are higher than men. It is estimated that 80% of all suicide attempts in the country are by women. 
In the Herat region, suicide is most often done by women setting themselves on fire, as that can be assumed to be accidental and it's less embarrassment for their families. The practice of women committing suicide by lighting themselves on fire is so common in Afghanistan that there's a separate word for it in the local language. The Herat region accounts for about half of all suicides in Afghanistan, despite only representing about 7% of the population. Fatima is a counselor for WASA, an MCC partner working with traumatized women in Herat. WASA stands for Women, Activities, and Social Service Association. She counsels dozens of women like Sohila in her office in a repurposed shipping container on the grounds of a women's health center. About a year ago, Fatima came to Sohila's village to explain to the village leaders why mental health is important. Fatima would speak with the shuras, the community decision-making body made up of the elders of the community. Building trust with the families, the community, and the husbands, Fatima would receive permission to treat the women. Fatima conducts both group and individual counseling sessions, teaching women coping skills. This MCC-supported year-long program provides intensive counseling services to 50 women a year for three years, reaching 150 women in the Herat region. In addition to counseling, the women are learning how to tailor a practical skill for them to earn a livelihood, which at the same time gives them an opportunity to leave the confines of their home and interact with other women. Every day they participate in a half-day vocational training session. The women plan to form eventually something called a tailoring union from which they will sell clothing they make, providing a source of ongoing income. Just as important as the tailoring is the support the women gain from each other when they meet together. Fatima has seen that in the tailoring groups, women share their tailoring knowledge with each other, instilling a sense of self-worth along with the mutual support. When we visited the tailoring center last month, the women shared openly about the trauma they had experienced, from roadside bombs killing their relatives to children dying of disease. They also proudly showed us the green velvet dresses, purple vests, and tailored pants that they had made, all displayed on the wall. For Fatima, this renewed sense of self-worth that these traumatized women express is encouraging, as it is evidence that the work she is doing for the women in her home state of Herat is not in vain. As she explained to us, these women had been forgotten. They have had very hard lives here, but we can help them live better again. We need people to know that there is hope. Now, now we turn to India. <clears throat> One of our first trips to India, we met Azad, director of an MCC partner organization. As Azad was growing up in Odisha, India, he experienced the transformation of the fabric of his home state. His home area had many tribal people, people who lived off the land by foraging and farming but they had a different concept of land. They understood land like we understand air. It is something that can be owned, can't be owned, but it is there for everyone. The land that was being used by the tribal people was found to be rich in minerals, and the Indian government opened up the area to mining companies who mined it for iron, coal, 
and steel. Over the next several decades, as a result of the mining, there was less land available to the tribal people, and the land that was available was not very arable. Eventually, the tribal people had no option but to become the laborers in the mines, the same mines that had taken over their lands. With this change and increased economic hardship of the tribal families, the communities started to disintegrate. People migrated. Families were torn apart. It was here in Odisha, India, in the early 1990s, that Azad committed to work for the poor. On his own, Azad began going out and meeting the children, many who did not have enough to eat and were starving. He offered them food. As it became known by the children and the people in these desperate communities, parents began to ask him to take their infants and find a home for them where they could have enough food to eat. Azad eventually founded an organization called Disha in 1998. The organization focused on child rights, food security, gender justice, local self-governance, and community building. <clears throat> Over the last 10 years, MCC partnered with Disha to support the indigenous communities in this very poor area of India by improving their food supply through sustainable agriculture. For more than six months a year, only rice and dry leaves were available to eat because of the small amount of seasonal rainfall. MCC supported water collection during the rainy season, as well as composting, gardens, and other farm-based activities to generate additional food and income. Working across religious and ethnic divides, Disha has mobilized these communities. In recent years, these tribal communities, which are 90% Christian, were being influenced by Hindu voices of division. It hurt Azad, a Muslim, to see his Christian neighbors internalizing these voices of hate. Azad understood the Christian message of peace and justice. Despite the differences in religious identification between Azad and the tribal communities, he is working to ensure that pride and identity remain with these communities and that they don't feel the division. Azad explained that if you don't keep practicing the message of peace and reconciliation, it will die out. If you don't keep going to church, the message will die out. Azad feels like he needs to speak out about the injustices he sees. Even though over the years of his mobilizing people on the margins, Azad has been harassed by the government and has received numerous death threats. Azad has endless compassion for neglected children and others living on the margin in his home state of Odisha, India. On his own, Azad operates a child helpline for abandoned babies found in train stations or along the road. Many are adopted through the Sisters of Charity. During our visit to Odisha, Azad's helpline was taking care of four infants who were recently found abandoned on the street. Azad explained that people in the community know to call him when a baby is abandoned or a child is homeless. We believe that both of these stories depict what it means to be a good neighbor 
in our world today, as demonstrated by Samaritans in unexpected places, showing compassion to the less fortunate. As followers of Christ, we are called to withstand the forces of our nation, our ethnic groups, our religion groups, that tell us people are no more than the group they belong to. We are called to break down the dividing walls of hostility. We are called to envision our enemy as being neighborly. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan to shake up our imaginations so we could see the other as someone who can do good. Can we envision our enemy, whoever that may be, as being neighborly, as being compassionate in helping others? Take a minute, think about if Jesus was with us today in telling the story to us, who would Jesus use as the Good Samaritan? For you, who is that other? Amen. Thank you, Rebecca and Blaine, for sharing these words that inspire us to break down walls with the other. Today's message and challenges guide us to personally analyze what it means to truly love and selflessly serve the neighbors around us. As we look at this challenge together, let's continue to reflect on what it will take within ourselves to observe good in the other. If we can truly love together by breaking down walls and seeing good in the other, we are destined to be a community built on the foundation of love. In connection to the message and to this response, we have built a wall of toy blocks. As a symbol of breaking down walls within our lives, we invite you to come to the front and take a piece of the wall and take it back to your seat. Let this symbol remind you that the broken pieces of our walls can be used to create a foundation of love for the neighbors around you by letting their light shine. At this time, as Tara sings, this little light of mine, you are welcome to come forward and take one piece of the wall. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Everywhere I go. I'm gonna let it shine Everywhere I go I'm gonna let it shine Everywhere I go I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine This little light of mine 
of this wall with you as a reminder of how you can break down walls within your own life between yourself and others. As you exit the chapel, members of the student ministry team will be holding baskets filled with candy from Afghanistan that Rebecca and Blaine have brought to share with us all. Go in peace. 